Brew Strong is brought to you by Blickman Engineering, home of the top-tier brewing stand. Visit them online at BlickmanEngineering.com. For the beer radio you've been looking for. This is the show that dispels myths, tackles the toughest topics, and makes no apologies for geeking out on beer. Hosted by two guys that drink before they think Jamil Zanashev and John Palmer. This is Bruce Strong. Hey, howdy, hey, my Bruin brothers and sisters. Back for another episode of Bruce Strong with my uh, compatriot, uh, John Palmer. Munami Namanaha. <laughs> what does that mean? I don't know, I just made it up. Oh, okay. How you doing? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, somebody in the forum was saying how much... Uh, they enjoyed your greetings and, and <laughs> why, you know, so, or somebody was asking it why it wasn't, uh, you know, a standard greeting every time. And they're like, oh, no, I kind of like the uh, the randomness of it all. Yeah, the improv, the, yeah. <laughs> that dynamic, creative aspect that you have. This is this is my time on the stage, you know. Your time dreams. to shine. Yeah, all the dreams I had of being a stand-up comedian that just never, never really worked, at least according to my wife. Well, we also have in the studio, speaking of shine, we also have in the studio my good friend uh, Jason Petros. He is bald. Here too. Yeah, yeah that, that one studio light is, is right off the uh, Right on the old the dome, dome, huh? Yeah. yeah. How are you guys doing? Really good. Great. Thanks for having me. That was a surprise announcement. I'm glad I'm request. glad you join us. Yeah. Glad you're here. Me too. I hope I'm not blowing anything off for this. No, who am I kidding? <laughs> yeah. What else am I going to do? All right. <laughs> <laughs> well, and uh, you know, I'm really uh, proud to uh, to announce I got a new John in my life. Like uh, you know, I've mentioned before how much I love my Johns. Yeah. <laughs> you are really stacking them up. I got another John. <laughs> I got I got me a John Blickman. This one's paying too. Yeah, ah, it's our favorite he's, kind. He's our <laughs> the Johns that pay. Yeah, don't Johns pay normally? <laughs> oh, that's a different line of work. Never. Different line of work. Yeah. No, no, no. Uh, Good old John Blickman. We got John Blickman. Uh, he is the new uh, sponsor of this show, uh, Bruce Strong. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, uh, John, uh, you, you, you've you met uh, Mr. Blickman uh, quite a while ago. And uh, before the show, you're, you're telling a story about how, how you've known him for quite a few years. And he's really, uh, you know, a brewer at heart. Yeah, he really is. He's uh, he's a, he's a real brewing geek when it comes down to it, and uh, an engineering geek too. Mm-hmm. So he's he's you know put his passion into making uh, you know brew pots and oh the Therminator, the plate chiller, mm-hmm. um, beer I gun. Have, I, yeah, I have a lot of this stuff, and it really yeah. it always works great. Well, and you got one of those uh, top tier systems, right? Yeah, I mean, I I had built my own rim system last mm-hmm. year, and it was fun you know to, but I, I gotta i gotta swap out the valves because i wasn't getting enough flow through the valves and so on i was using mm-hmm. um and uh and then running the running the hoses like through the uh the bed of the uh the bench proved to be a little bit cumbersome you know having to crawl under there during the brewing session was kind of a pain 
Yeah. So, yeah, I got I got a top tier just because I like the simplicity yes. of it, the it elegance nice, of it. Nice piece of equipment. Yeah, yeah, and uh, it wasn't a piece of crap. Not like the one I made. Yeah. yeah right. So yeah, it works great. I was, I was really impressed, and you know, Jamil, you and I have talked about, um, you know, efficient, you know, extraction efficiency, and and so on, and hitting your numbers. And you've talked about how critical hitting your volume is. Mm-hmm. Well, having a sight glass in each in each of my brew pots is just monumental. I mean, it makes hitting your numbers so easy because you know exactly how much you know mm-hmm. volume you're working with all the time. I was I was amazed. Um, you know, I figured figured in the past I only needed a sight glass and say my my HLT in the mm-hmm. hot liquor tank, but having them on the mash tun and having them on the brew kettle. Mm-hmm. Really helps. Well, you know, Justin and I went out to uh, the Northern Brewer Grand Opening in Milwaukee, and uh, they had one of those uh, top tier systems there. And I'll tell you, it's yeah, uh, it's a thing of beauty, and a- you know, and sweet engineering design. A, a yeah. lot of really clever little things that you wouldn't think are important on a system, uh, but. You know, once you see them in action, you realize the brilliance of the design. Like, yeah. um, you know, you can you can adjust this thing up and down all the the levels of it, and even the holders for the brew pots they adjust out in and out. And you could you could use the same. You know, one of the things that uh, uh, you know people like to brew, you know, bigger batches, smaller batches. You don't want to brew, you know, ten gallons of everything. Or twenty right. gallons of everything, or five gallons of everything. You, sometimes you want to brew five. Sometimes you want to brew ten or twenty. And with that system, you can uh, just adjust your your pot holders out, and there you go. Now you're you're working on a different size system. It's really it's really brilliant, and uh, you know just just uh, every little aspect of it. It seems really well manufactured. I was yeah. very impressed. Very impressed. And and supposedly I I helped brew on. I brewed a, a beer there on on the system, but really that <laughs> you, amounted to me talking and drinking beer and then throwing in some hops at the end. Ah, uh, there you go. Uh, that's I mean, you inspire people just by being around them. I'm sure. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> See, you should have been there. That's Palmer. what I've been saying. Because all I kept saying to him was, "Do you know, are you going to do something today?" But Palmer's glass is half full. And he, <laughs> that's right. <laughs> you know, that's why he's my buddy. <laughs> he yeah. just raises the bar by standing there. That's right. That's right. I can hold up the end of a bar. Absolutely. I got to work on my uh, keeping you up skills. That's right. You know, right. blowing smoke up my uh, yeah yeah yeah. That's what you got the smoke blowing aspect. You really got to work on that. Yeah. Put that in your review, yeah. Justin. I mean, you've really got the bar aspect covered. You just, you know. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Well, and uh, you know. Uh, they got the top tier. They got the Terminator. They got the beer gun. If you're into home brewing at all, you've heard of these things. I mean, they're revolutionary, you know. Uh, and uh, the the quality of the build is very high. The quality, you know, the the engineering thought that went into these things is very high. Uh, John Blickman is, uh, you know, an engineer uh, by trade and has put a lot of that engineering skill into these developing these things. Yeah, and it a lot really of shows. And so, uh, you know, if you if you're not familiar with them, go go by their website www.blickmanengineering.com. And Blickman is uh, B L I C H 
M-A-N-N, and then hopefully you know how to spell engineering. I didn't, but most people do. Right. And if you just sort of uh, type something that sounds like Blickman and uh, engineering in in a Google search, they'll, they'll find the right for you. <laughs> I love Google. Say, Google has the hey, stupid did, factor. Did, yeah. did you mean to spell this correctly? <laughs> yeah. Hey, yeah. stupid. Yeah. You, you're looking for this, aren't you? Yeah, Google, I am. But uh, go by the website, check it out. You, you find a, a lot of interesting things. And one of the things I... Uh, you know that's great about Blickman as a uh, a sponsor is that you can buy Blickman engineering uh, equipment at your local homebrew shop. Yeah, and you can support your local homebrew shop, and you can support the uh, the uh, sponsor that's that's making this show possible. You know they're 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 making this show uh, possible for you to hear for free. So you listen to this for free. Well, John Blickman is paying for it. That's He's right. paying cash money so you can listen for free. Let them know that you appreciate it. That's the, the least you can do. Uh, you know, if you can, go out and buy some, some Blickman engineering equipment. Uh, if if uh, finances don't allow that, you know, Just uh, let an know. email is, is cheap and free. Uh, you know, let them know how much you appreciate it. And, uh well, go, go at least check out their products at the at, at your homebrew shop. And the beer gun and and thermometers and so there's some very affordable Blickman mm-hmm. stuff too. It's not all the brew right. stands, right? So well, and here's another thing that I thought was really cool that I really loved and I hadn't seen it before it was the thermometers in the sides of the kettles, right? They were on a swivel, so you know the ones that were lower, you could tilt it up. And oh, you can right. read the thermometer from, you know, without bending Above, over yeah. and trying to look through at the side. Or if it was higher up, you could bend it down, and so you could just easily read the thermometer every time. And you got that bad back of yours that goes out every now and then. <laughs> That's, That's right, great Grandpa, for you. <laughs> Grandpa <laughs> Multi here. <laughs> yeah, you like that bendy thermometer, <laughs> right? Oh, no, I just thought, yeah, you know, it's a good idea. Uh, one of the reasons, you know, you can you can make great beer with, uh, you know, pickle buckets and all that stuff. But uh, you know, Can? the the great thing, great. <laughs> yeah, it's news, news, the the great thing about uh, you know equipment like this is it really uh, you know uh, helps provide a consistency and an ease of brewing, and you know it 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 really does improve the beer through uh, you know just uh, you know how it affects the process. So mm-hmm. you know it doesn't fundamentally change the process, but. Um, yeah, the way you interact with it. Yeah, absolutely facilitates it. Good word there, John. And my, my my word of the day. John's like my uh, <laughs> my word of the day calendar there. Yeah, we're kind of like the MythBusters, you know, just <laughs> with less talent, with less talent, <laughs> yeah. yeah, and less money, scale. yeah, less less viewers, and less hot sidekicks, unless yeah, exactly, and less hot hot chicks to do work for you. Yeah. <laughs> okay, we need to work on that. Right, <laughs> we do. All right, yeah. Well, now that we have a great sponsor, maybe we can put some of that money toward getting more hot chicks on the show. Yeah. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. Well, and... Uh, maybe just more Nate Smith, but he can, like, uh, sit in the corner with that long hair. You never know. <laughs> yeah. You know? Right, right. Okay. Well, why don't we get to our, our topic of the day, right? Which, uh, which is a, a question that came in from uh, Chris Taylor. Here you go. Hi, John and Jamil. It's Chris from Melbourne, Australia here. I had a question I thought uh, you guys might be interested in discussing on one of your shows. Um, basically, I know we go to a lot of effort to measure things like uh, no amount of sugars in our beer, with hydrometers and temperatures and other other factors. It doesn't seem to be much emphasis on measuring IBU levels in uh, your resultant beer. And a lot of times it seems to be based on the faith of the, the alpha acid uh, rings in the hops packets rather than any measured... Uh, uh, factor. So I'd love to hear some strategies on, on how we could um, 
get a better understanding of what the actual IBU levels are, how we account for hop aging, uh, strategies for reproducibility of bitterness in beer, and also uh, strategies on determining qualities of hops. Anyway, thanks again for the great show, and uh, hope to hear from about it soon. Bye. Well, I thought that was a, you know, when I first got this question in on uh, on the uh, request email, which is uh, uh, brewstrong at the brewingnetwork.com, uh, <clears throat> we got, uh, you know, it got me thinking, you know, where those formulas come from and how are they were formulated and how much it, it mirrors reality. So, uh we uh, we actually uh, are going to have a quite the special guest, aren't we, John? Yes, we are one of the one of the pioneers of uh, hop utilization, uh, Mr. Glenn Tinseth. All right, yeah. And if you've wow. uh, if you've been around at all, you probably heard of the Tinseth uh, formula. You know, most of the uh, brewing software has that as one of the selections, at least for right. and and a lot of people consider that the most accurate of the uh, the formulas. Wow! So why don't we do this? Guest. There you go. I tell you, we we bring them in. We bring them in. <laughs> you know, we got JP in the studio. Well, you know. We got Tinseth. All right, let's do this. Let's take a short break. When we come back, uh, we'll hear from Glenn, and uh, we'll get into uh, hops. Back after this. Smart. Brew Strong. This is Brew Strong. From the stovetop to a camp burner to some kind of brew stand. Most homebrewers follow some version of this progression. With each move, a homebrewer will often have to change a lot, if not all, of their equipment. Until now, Blickman Engineering brings you the top-tier brewing stand. The only brewing stand that grows with you. For example, buy a top-tier floor-standing burner now, and it'll bolt right to your top-tier brewing stand when you're ready for all-grain brewing. The top-tier brewing stand is perfect for 5-gallon to 20-gallon batch sizes. Its modular design is adjustable and accommodates everything from small footprint coolers up to 30-gallon pots. How does the top-tier brewing stand do it? At its core is a strong, heat-treated, and anodized aluminum main post. On all four sides are built-in T-slots for the adjustable heavy-gauge stainless steel shelves and beefy burner tiers. The tiers accommodate any manufacturer's pots or coolers up to 21 inches in diameter. Best of all, not only does the top-tier brewing stand grow with your skills and equipment, but it easily knocks down for long-term storage or transport, too. The top-tier brewing stand from Blickman Engineering. Learn more at BlickmanEngineering.com and to find a local Blickman retailer. And start brewing from the top tier. Downtown Joe's, located in the historic Oberon Building in beautiful downtown Napa, California, offers an award-winning brew pub experience from 8.30 a.m. to 1 a.m. every day. 
For 15 years at the corner of 2nd and Main, Downtown Joe's has been voted Best Night Spot seven times and Best Brew Pub for the last four years in a row. Brewmaster Colin Kaminsky's handcrafted ales, like his Tailwagon Amber Ale and Catherine the Great Imperial Stout, are the perfect accent to riverside dining, live music, and a relaxing outdoor patio. Don't miss the Beer of the Month, special rotating taps, and happy hour all day Mondays. Visit downtownjoes.com to make reservations, peruse their extensive calendar of events, or just read more about their fantastic beers. Come enjoy the fine beer, food, and music. Downtown Joe's, the award-winning brew pub where you'll feel at home. Where were we? You stole an oak barrel from the mist of Ravenwood and Lord Zinfandel the Avenger is in pursuit. Do you drop the barrel and run? Hell no. We need it for our Flinders Red. I'm going to cast Pediacacus Damnethus on the barrel. Sorry, your ghosts are imprisoned in his winery forever. I hate it when Greg's the brewmaster. This sucks. What do we have here? Orville Rodenbach? Buzz off, guy. We got a brew session going. Is that an actual beer? Yeah, I crafted it. I don't really use the dice anymore. I'm a 10th level beer nerd. Are you a 10th level beer nerd? Do you get a long-lasting foam stand when you think about wheat malt? Then you're in good company at Northern Brewer. Northern Brewer has all your beer nerd needs, ingredients, equipment, and knowledge at northernbrewer.com. Plus, fast, cheap shipping, only $7.99 for the contiguous USA. And check out Northern Brewer's huge selection of dorky beer kits, including the pre-prohibition lager. Perfect for steampunk. And the single hop best bitter. Now on cast in 10 forward. Make 10th level at northernbrewer.com In the past year, the Brewing Network has been able to add two new shows, expand our studio capabilities and quality, and bring more beer information home to you than ever before. In no small part, this is due to subscribers like you. Thank you from all of us at the Brewing Network. Without your monthly support of any denomination, we could not bring you the very best in live beer radio like Can You Brew It? Brew Strong and the Sunday Session. Haven't signed up yet? Join your fellow brewers in the BN Army. Sign up today at thebrewingnetwork.com for a recurring donation as little as $2 a month. Besides all the great live radio you'll support, every subscriber is automatically entered in monthly raffles for amazing brew gear like a conical firm a temperature control system, or your own draft setup. Become a part of the BN Army today. Hilo, what's it feel like? Take awesome and multiply it by two. Yeah! <laughs> Spraying live beer radio all over your face. <laughs> Can't get any better than this, baby. <laughs> it's the Brewing Network. Like the Lance Armstrong of the beer world. Except for that nut thing. This is Bruce Strong. Okay, now... now uh, I gotta apologize for a sponsor already, but... Uh, you know, that nut thing? So, one, <laughs> one, one morning I wake up... Honestly, right? One morning I wake up... There's a story behind that comment? Well, the the Lance Armstrong with the nut thing. Right. Right. So so I wake up one morning and uh and my right testicle is I swear to God four times larger that's than my a, left testicle. That's a man. <laughs> like, right there. I, you know, it's like a like a, a good size russet potato. Had you been <laughs> squeezing it? No. <laughs> In my sleep, I'm a nut squeezer. <laughs> I, you know, I don't know. I, you know, I wake up. I'm just like, you know, yeah. I don't know where how your hand ends up down there when you wake up in the morning. But you know, it's called suffice magic. It to say it does. 
and you know you're just like wow something's not right here and then you know you're checking out the size of things and uh you know like at least four times larger i'm like holy crap (laughs) what happened and i'm thinking well i gotta wake up the wife you know call the doctor you know and uh in the course of 15 20 minutes you know the size starts going down within an hour they were the same size again <laughs> what the heck? All right. Oh man. Probably had something twisted and then uh in the course of thinking. feeling it out it uh, untwisted right, and then, right. uh, you know. I, I, it must have had some twisted sister or whatever they call it. <laughs> I, I don't know what the kids something. are calling it these days. <laughs> I, think, I think that is the medical term is twisted sister. <laughs> well, there, there is testicular torsion. Yeah. Yes, which it, it sounds like you were yeah, well, yeah. yeah. And I'm like, Whoa, holy smokes. I'm thinking, how do I get the other one that size? Yeah. <laughs> Apparently you squeeze it like Palmer said. <laughs> right. right. So uh, anyways, uh, on that that fine note. Um, <laughs> we were talking about hot bags, and that's what got it. We were right? talking about hot bags. Yeah. No, uh, we, we've had some difficulty getting a hold of Glenn Tinseth. Hey, Glenn, if you're listening, call the studio, 888-401-BEER, and uh, we'll put you right on the air. Uh, apparently, our crack uh, team <laughs> yeah. has has not quite come up with the uh, the correct phone number for Glenn, and uh, he's on too much crack, having some difficulty. Yeah, I know Glenn. The operative word. Glenn has been standing by all this time. I know he is. <laughs> he's there we, somewhere. We just cannot reach him via phone. So, Glenn, if you're listening, eight 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 four zero one beer. Or if you're sitting next to Glenn, give him a poke. Tell him to pick up the phone. <laughs> <laughs> maybe he's passed out. Yeah, <laughs> right. Maybe he's been drinking. Maybe he's got one testicle four times larger than the other one. I don't know. But the great thing is, uh, what I was thinking uh, we were going to do this show was <laughs> go through Glenn's formulas and uh, you know how yeah. he came up with uh, the formulas and, and, and that that sort of stuff. But there's a lot to this question. And I yeah, think, lot, uh, lots to utilization. Yeah, and, and I think Chris had a lot of uh, interesting questions. And I was thinking this is going to go for two shows anyway. So... What we'll do, we got uh, our in-house expert, John uh, Palmer, and uh, he even wrote a, uh, a nice article about this. Uh, was that for BYO? or? Yeah, it's for Brew Your Own last year, yeah. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And uh, we got JP, we got myself, and we even have Justin. So uh, let's let's forge ahead, and uh, let's let's talk. Let's, let's answer some of these questions. You know, one of the interesting things that uh, I saw in Chris's question was, any methods to approximate the actual IBU levels in the resultant work? Rather than just taking the faith in the brewing software, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, I was interviewing Mitch Steele from Stone, and one of the things that he was giving me in his recipes was like, well, the, when I would ask for IBUs, he'd go, well, you know, IBUs in the finished beer is 95. In the wort, it's 120. You know, or uh-huh. it's, uh, you know, it's in this, it's, uh, you know, 60, and this, it's, you know, in the wort, it's 80. And I was, you know, I realized, and I, I, I kind of knew this ahead of time, was, uh, you know, pitching rates affect the number of IBUs you have in your finished beer. Filtering, uh, you know, a lot of different factors uh, affect how much the IBUs the finished beer has versus how much the wort has. So your your brewing software, your calculations, that's going to tell you how many IBUs in your wort. It's not going to tell you what really necessarily you're going to get in your finished beer. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of factors that are going to affect that, right? That's right. The um, The whole utilization model 
is what you're trying to do is figure out uh, a fudge factor for how much of the alpha acid is not going to end up in your beer. And uh, so mm-hmm. you're really, you're really uh, you know, throwing the dice. Mm-hmm. But, uh, but as long as you throw the dice consistently and assign a number to that, you can brew consistently. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of what the, the hop utilization formulas and the IBU formulas do for us. Mm-hmm. Well, and part of uh, Chris's question was, all right, so, you know, do we trust the, you know, alpha acid percentage on the, on the hop package? And, uh, you know, does that really, uh, you know, along with the, the software, the formulas in the software, does that really tell me what's in the work? Well... Uh, let's let's tackle the first part of that question. The the percent alpha on you know the foil packet or the the plastic bag that you get from the uh, brew shop, you know that's that's probably a number that was given to the shop owner uh, from the bale and mm-hmm. uh, you know at the at the hop warehouse where he where he got them from. Um, two factors affect uh, alpha acid. One is um, well temperature. And the other is oxygen exposure. Mm-hmm. So, if um, dependent, let's and I got to back up to you know your hop form also makes a difference. If you have loose hops versus pellet hops, um, the pellet hops are going to resist oxidation much better than the uh, le- le- uh, loose hops or leaf hops because um, you know the center of the hop pellet. Isn't as exposed to oxygen as the out, you know, as the whole hop cone is in loose hops. Well, the, those hop pellets they almost have a slick surface on them. It's like yeah. they're almost uh, you know varnished, you know, from the uh, the pressure of the extrusion. Yeah, the heat sealing, and so yeah, they, they have a lot better stability. So the the amount of oxygen exposure that they've gotten to that point is is your first factor. Mm-hmm. Now you need to. Um, kind of guess at what temperature they've been stored at. Mm-hmm. Um, the the colder they've been stored, the more stable the alpha acids and the oils and so on are. They, you know, lower as as Charlie was telling us a couple weeks ago. Um, you know, there are Arrhenius re- equation uh, governs how fast a chemical reaction occurs, mm-hmm. and in the case of oxidation reactions, you know, a change of ten degrees C. Um, doubles the reaction. So the colder you keep your hops, the better they uh, store. Mm-hmm. And I've had hops in the freezer that, oh, they're two years old. I figured, you know, they've, uh, and these were, these were loose hops too, but they are well packaged. And I, but I figured after two years in the freezer, they'd probably lost, say, 50% of their alpha. Mm-hmm. And I, I brewed with them, you know, on that basis. Well, the beer turned out a lot hoppier than right, I expected. Right. And uh, so they, you know, keeping them cold really help preserve their potency. Well, that's what I was going to say because if you're keeping them at minus twenty, right? Um, right. The 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 uh, you know the reaction with oxygen is much slowed. So I don't. I, I used to worry about the oxygen packaging of my hops, but that's really just important if you're at warmer temperatures. If you're at freezer temperatures all the time. Um, you know, you fold up the end of the bag and seal it with a rubber band or a piece of tape, and I think that's pretty good. I've I've kept hops for you know three years or so, 
And uh, I used to worry about adjusting for alpha acid, uh, you know, the loss alpha acid. And and maybe it's the increase in beta that I'm, I'm getting or something that's offsetting or something like that. But that could I, too, I, yeah. I noticed very little difference over the course of years with, with, with hops that were fresh initially and well cared for initially, like I got from, from more beer. Um, you know, I put it in the, the freezer and just take out what I need. And, you know, years down the road, I'm not adjusting my recipe at all. And maybe right. I'm just not noticing the difference. I, I, I would think I would notice a, any sort of significant difference. Well, if you can if you can open that hop bag, you know, it's been in the freezer for a couple of years, and it's still you still smell fresh hops. You still smell mm-hmm. you know good aroma. Uh, then you know you've preserved them well. If you when you pull them out, you don't get a whole lot of you know fresh hop aroma. If you get uh, you know some of the cheesy, cheesy notes, mm-hmm. but you know if you're if you're not smelling that fresh hop aroma now, you can say okay, I've probably lost a significant amount of alpha. Or if they're yellow or loose, yeah. and the pellets have started to fall apart, you know. Right. Right. The more they brown, the more they turn brown, the more they're oxidized. So if you pull some hops out of the freezer that have turned all yellow and brown, then yes, they are definitely oxidized. And I've, I've had some like that. Well, JP, what about you? Have you used any uh, older hops? Have you have you done any experimentation with that sort of thing as far as? Uh, uh, you know, uh, leftover hops maybe at the at the shop that, uh, you know. No, <laughs> I'll right. just let that float. No, that's a fine uh, answer. Thank you. I I haven't, and and uh-huh. and maybe I'm uh, uh, lucky to a certain extent because I have a, a, a right. essentially a fresh supply of hops. So uh, to back up a little bit, John, you are absolutely correct. What what you get on that foil packet or that Mylar bag or, you know, whoever you Mm -hmm. buy it from, is exactly what we get on the bale. Mm -hmm. So we only know information that is coming from, in our case, Hop Union. Mm -hmm. Uh, And and I've talked to Ralph about about stability of of pellet hops for a a couple times, and he he says, and I'd actually like to see information on it, that uh, they've they've kept hop pellets um, in storage without any alpha acid degradation for five years. Wow. Degradation. Should say, um, which seems if it's, if it's cold, amazing. I'd, I'd believe it because everything happens. You know, you, you know, things just don't. If you get it cold enough, you know, things just don't. All the that chemical, uh, you know, action that that's going to happen in order for it to degrade. You know, it requires it's you know, certain down, certain things to happen. Yeah. What I what I was uh, kind of piqued my interest, John, when you were saying there's a. Uh, a, a Exposure to oxygen will, mm-hmm. you know, delay the uh, or will will uh, enhance or increase the uh, the amount of alpha acid that that's uh, lost. reduced or yeah lost. Thank you. I don't know why I'm having such a problem right now. Um, do you have any sort of um, I don't know? Let's say ten minutes. Um, you know, uh, equals two no. points lost or or whatever. Um, is there kind of a sliding scale on that? Or uh, um, because I'm 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 thinking about the, you know the the guys who who go into like bulk hop buys um, who they'll get a bale or they'll get five pounds and then they'll sit there and you know split it up into whatever ounces and so maybe the the hops are open for twenty minutes mm-hmm. half an hour on the kitchen counter while they split it up with their friends or whatever. Right. Um, it, it, I haven't seen anything like that. No. Okay. But I think you know the 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 more time it spends warm. More times you warm up those hops, the what is know. warm though? What is warm to you? <laughs> no, I mean like like what, like when you say warm. My one really huge <coughs> testicle was quite quite hot. It was quite warm. Yeah, 
Well, the story was pretty hot, too. <laughs> but, I mean, is it like 50 degrees, or are you talking warm, like room right. temps, like 70, 80? Uh, you know, it, it's all relative. So every right. 10 degrees C, you know, is doubling the, the speed of the reaction, right? So What's the speed of the reaction? <laughs> I'm, I'm just trying to figure out, like, like right, trying, right. To, trying to figure out what that actually no, means. Because to I, me, that doesn't yeah, mean know. much, because I, I don't have a... I, well, I, I agree. Or, so, you know, you know we really need to run some tests on... You know, hops sitting, uh, you know, at room temperature, you know, let's say, you know, 62 degrees uh, Fahrenheit uh, for, uh, you know, 20 minutes, you know, an hour, three hours, and then, uh, you know, run some analysis on it and see see what's happened to the mm-hmm. – uh, I would imagine, uh, you know, just a guess, but, you know, an hour or two is probably not going to have that much of an effect uh, once you get up to you know a day or two, then it really starts to have an effect. Talking about oxygen, right? Yeah, okay. there was a there was a paper published in uh, the American uh, Brewers Society, um, American Brewing Chemists uh, ASBC. Yes, that, that's the one. American um, <laughs> Society of Brewing Chemists. <laughs> there we go. Yeah, <laughs> that's, that's what I get for trying to talk and look at my computer screen at the same time. Um, Lick your computer screen? <laughs> Did I misspeak? Yeah. Maybe. Uh, there was a really good paper on it where they had left uh, a bag of hops. Um, I think it was in the freezer, but they had punctured the bag mm-hmm. and ju- and left it, uh, you know, basically. So it was cold, but getting exposure to air. Mm-hmm. And they had uh, X amount of degradation of the alpha. Um well, I'll, I'll try to find it. So if you guys keep talking about interesting things, I can maybe find it. <laughs> so, JP, have you had any t- testicle adventures? Uh, I have, uh, actually. <laughs> They're different than yours. Yeah, <laughs> way different than yours. Well, and um, so... They don't involve mine. Yeah, the, the interesting thing, though, is, uh, you know, I, I still got to believe the, the majority of the effect is, is due to temperature. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's possible that, uh, it could be, um, you know, just oxygen, but, you know, I, I think you get it down to absolute zero, then yeah. there's no way <laughs> the hops are oxidizing, right? Cause, cause the degradation is, is really just oxidation hops. That's what we're talking about, right? Hmm. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Another so, in-depth in answer. When, when you guys say uh, 10 degrees C doubles the alpha loss, 10 degrees C, uh, every 10 degrees C from what? What's well, your starting point? Ne- not necessarily. Well, you know, accelerate, accelerates uh, any sort of, uh, you know, reaction, right? I, well, I, found, I found the paper here. Oh, great. Um, but in, yeah, I, sorry, JP. Um, no, that's fine. It's your show, man. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> Don't you yeah, forget it. It says that... Um, they had, let's see, a fresh hop beer had 22 IBUs, um, 23.5 ppm of isoalpha determined by HPLC. Then they had an aged pellet uh, beer mm-hmm. where the bag had spent one year at 50 degrees F in a punctured, punctured we'll oxygen beer bag. That's a problem, 50 degrees. Yeah, 50 Fahrenheit. degrees F. And that's, that's warm. That's you know close to room temperature, but that that um, beer problem. only had three point six ppm of isoalpha. Right. Well, and the other to- and the other issue would be uh, 
they're measuring the finished beer, right? Right. Um, and, and they in these guys, they also kind of a, a twist on the experiment, which makes it hard for a home brewer to kind of replicate. Is they purposely added more hops um, to get the same number of of measured IBUs in mm-hmm. the in the finished beers, mm-hmm. twenty two IBUs in both beers, where one was made up from twenty three ppm of iso alpha, the other was made up of three ppm of iso alpha mm-hmm. plus a lot of um, oxidized beta acids mm-hmm. that and of course the way that, and this is something that we're going to have to talk about a little bit more in a minute mm-hmm. the way that ibus are actually measured in mm-hmm. industry and across the, around the world is by um spectrophotometry uh shining a light beam through right. a sample of the beer and measuring the amount of absorption in the beer well so it's it measures hop stuff the, the standard test method measures hop stuff, not mm-hmm. iso alpha. To well, get iso alpha, you got to go to a different method. And it, but but here's the here's the the thing that bothers me about this: if they're measuring the finished beer, like like we were saying before, you know, pitching rates, uh, you know, the condition of the yeast, uh, you know, filtering, evaporation, you know, a lot of different things yeah. are going to affect what your finished, uh, you know. Um, the hot material is in there, right? That's the problem I have right. with with you a know, lot of that's, these. That's papers. why it should, be, it should be measured on the word. Yeah, well, in articles and stuff like that, where you know people go, well, these two home mm-hmm. brewers mm-hmm. decided to find out the truth behind this thing. Well, you're doing a, an experiment at home in uncontrolled conditions. Anything could happen. Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, I think uh, I think we've uh, located Glenn, and uh, why don't we take a short break, and when we come back. Uh, we'll talk to Glenn Tinza about his uh, formulas and uh, all things hoppy. Back after this. Keep your carboy cap on. This is Bruce Strong. We'll be right back. Hey, what are you doing, man? Writing a review of WLP 400. What? You're reviewing yeast? Yeah. White Labs has home brewer reviews of all their strains. Are you new to these interwebs? Check it out. That's awesome. White Labs, your source for great yeast, invites all brewers to visit whitelabs.com to read and write your own reviews of all their yeast strains. Get real-world tips and tricks from other brewers who have made the most of their vials and post your own experiences. It's another way White Labs brings you closer to the best yeast on the planet. And send. There you go. You misspelled flocculate, dude. (laughs) What? Ah. White Labs. It's all in the vial. Hi, this is Push from the Brewing Network, and I want to tell you about the Brewmaster's Warehouse and how you can get 10% off your next order. I'm a pretty techie guy, but I've never seen an online store like this. It's awesome. Go to brewmasterswarehouse.com and click on Brew Builder. You can whip up a custom recipe so easily even Sven could do it. Seriously, it's slick. You can share your recipe with your own logo and notes to the Brewmaster's database if you want. And the best part, it keeps a running tally of the beer you're building while you're doing it. Then, bam, click Buy Recipe and your cart is filled and ready to go with helpful suggestions in case you forgot something. This thing is amazing. Brewmaster's Warehouse is run the way a home brewer would do it with great service, fast turnaround, and $6.99 flat rate shipping. 
Brewmasters Warehouse and the brew builder blew me away. Check it out today at brewmasterswarehouse.com. I'm serious. And don't forget to put BN Army in the discount code box for 10% off your order. Check out brewmasterswarehouse.com. Cheers. BN Army members, are you looking for a discount on hops? Keep listening. Nico's Homebrew Supply at nicobrew.com has hops by the ounce and by the pound. Choose from varieties like Amarillo, Centennial, East Kent Goldings, Hollertower, Simcoe, Summit, Tomahawk, Warrior, Willamette, and more. And adding new varieties all the time, many for less than 20 bucks a pound. Whether a couple ounces at a time or an 11-pound bag, all hops are shipped vacuum-sealed and frozen straight to you. Nico's Homebrew Supply offers store-wide $5 flat-rate chip and won't waste your money on unnecessary overhead or advertising. They're going bare bones and passing the savings on to you. The staff at Nico's Homebrew Supply loves to brew and is committed to keeping homebrewing affordable and accessible to anyone who wants to join in this great hobby. And for a limited time, use coupon code BNARMY at checkout for a Brewing Network discount. Visit NicoBrew.com. That's N-I-K-O Brew.com for your hops and more. NicoBrew.com, your bare bones buddy in the brewing business. This holiday season is one of gratitude, giving, and winning. More Beer says thank you to all their wonderful customers with deals from Thanksgiving through New Year's, in addition to low prices, free shipping, and the More Beer deal of the day every day. And one lucky customer is going to win Regan's Big Fat Package, the very first More Beer pressurizable conical fermenter. Rolling out just in time for the holidays, it's their brand new redesigned stainless conical line with a new threadless racking port, new stand options and a new pressurizable lid. They're giving away one of these new pressurizable conicals on December 31st. For every order you place with more beer between November 1st and December 31st, use the coupon code CONICAL up to once every day to enter yourself into the drawing. Go to morebeer.com for more details. The 2009 More Beer season of winning. Win yourself some great deals and maybe even a brand new conical fermenter. Enter today only at morebeer.com. You're listening to the Brewing Network. Back to your hosts, Jamil Zanashef and John Palmer. Putting the testicles in technical. This is Brew Strong. All right, we're back. We're talking hops and uh, how you figure out IBUs and all that in your beer. And we have on the line with us Glenn Tinseth. Hey, Glenn, how you doing today? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. Oh, thanks for joining us. Sorry about the uh, difficulty in getting you on the line. I know you've been standing by since 630. Yeah, the problem being that I can't type my own phone number. <laughs> right. Well, <laughs> the, the question is, all right, so we're supposed to trust the formula from a guy who can't get his own phone number right? Is that is that correct? Well, normally I have people who do this for me. Ah, <laughs> yes. Don't worry, Glenn, I can barely spell my own name, so <laughs> we'll be fine. And he only has two letters in his name. Yeah. Well, I did work on editing your first edition, so I know. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so uh, um, one of the things that uh, I think you're really well known for in the homebrew community, at least, is uh, your hop formula, your hop utilization formula, and it's uh, many folks consider to be the most accurate of the hop formulas that we have out there to use. Uh you want to give us a little background on uh, you know how you came up with the your your formula, how you developed it, and and what you think of it today, based off of uh, 
how it's been uh, out there? Sure. Um, one of the background pieces that a lot of people don't remember anymore is that it all started with my hop business, the Hop Source. Um, way back when hops were packaged in little Ziploc bags, I was one of the first people to figure out that maybe a oxygen barrier bag might work better. <clears throat> and I uh, lived in um, Silverton, Oregon, which is right near many of the hop fields in Oregon. And so just the whole synergy of it made it seem perfect to have a business out of my basement. And um, <clears throat> at the same time, I was working on my Ph.D. at Oregon State University, where the USDA hop labs are. And um, because I'm a perfect um, example of a procrastinator, I found it much more fun to spend time in the USDA hop labs than uh, finishing my dissertation. <laughs> <laughs> But um, so what I did there was while packaging hops at night and trying to sell them, um, uh, I would trade grinding hops for the USDA hop labs, specifically Gail Nickerson um, and Al Honnold. Um, And then I got time on their instruments to do analyses, and um, it was a fairly mutually beneficial arrangement, I guess. But um, So I just started out on my own. I, I brewed a whole bunch of batches, took samples throughout the boil, um, also hooked up with one of the brewing folks on campus and gathered a whole bunch of samples from their uh, pilot brewery and did analysis after analysis using the spectrophotometer and uh, gradually came up with an empirical-shaped curve. And uh, being a chemist, I was able to fit it with a with basically a first-order um, chemical kinetic equation, more or less. Hmm. Okay. Yeah, it's uh, you know as kind of a a natural uh, reaction uh, with you know chemical. It, these things usually aren't linear. At least not only, maybe they'll be linear over short distances, but when you try to uh, model something over a long period of time, they tend to be nonlinear, don't they? Yeah, and one of the things that set me off at the beginning was at the time, I think the the Rager curve from the... Uh, Jackie Rager, huh? Yeah, it showed uh, more of an S-shaped curve, which didn't make sense to me, you mm-hmm. know, I, just chemically. And so I thought, well, let's do some investigating. And I went to the Oregon State Library, which had a ton of brewing journals, luckily, and just grabbed data set after data set from Guinness and from Asahi in Japan and um, even managed to score some um, back uh, the envelope <clears throat> sets of data from Sierra Nevada. And none of them matched the S-shaped curve. They all matched the curve that I was working on. And so I figured I must have been onto something good. Mm-hmm. And... Um, just refined it a little bit more. It put it out on the Homebrew Digest. I mean, this was, what, in 94, I think, yeah. mm-hmm. 93, 94. And um, it it took off from there. I mean, <laughs> funny thing is it's been on the website since 92 or 93, I think, and uh, luckily um, they're still hosting it uh, at real, realbeer.com. Uh, <laughs> well, now, so your... your um Equation obviously is based off of, uh, you know, the isomerized alpha acids in uh, the wort, 
at different stages, mm-hmm. uh, giving you the, the formula. And one thing that always fascinates me is I could take that, that, that wort, the same wort, and I could ferment it uh, with different strains of yeast, different pitching rates, uh, perhaps different temperatures. I could filter it, not filter it, and I could end up with a variety of ending uh, beers with different IBU levels. Isn't that correct? Right. And so you're distinguishing between utilization in the kettle mm-hmm. and final bittering units in the beer. And mm-hmm. there are so many variables that you can't test for. I mean, I, I, I basically checked gravity and boil time. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you're talking about, you know, pitching rates and flocculence and mm-hmm. whether or not you filter and how good your hot break was and your cold break. And, right, you know, right. there's just a million pH. And, and there's other, you know, I have correspondences going on with people all over the world of, of research they'd like to do. And it's all stuff that I would have liked to do. But, you know, when it comes right down to it, who is it going to be useful mm-hmm. for, you know? Well, and I, I, I found that really interesting. Um, uh, there's uh, another brewing podcast out there that did... Uh, uh, analysis of the different formulas, and they they analyzed a bunch of finished beers, and they calculated everything out using um, you know several different formulas, and you know I I applaud that effort, but the you know the the cynic in me was saying, well, it's a bunch of nonsense because you're measuring the finished beer. And they were using different yeasts. They were using different pitching rates. They were using different brewers. They, you know, it was like, well, it's meaningless. Um, you know, really, you know, your formula could be, you know, 100% accurate for the wort. But, you know, I, I think that's the, the disconnect. Huh? Yeah, yeah, the disconnect a lot of uh, home brewers have between they're thinking that that's going to be the finished IBUs in, in their beer. And that's not necessarily the case. Yeah, you're exactly right. And in fact, from the beginning, I've always told people, this is a great formula for the brewery that sits in my basement, mm-hmm. given <laughs> the tests that I've done. Mm-hmm. And, and I always tell people, look, you know, this is, this is a tool that has nothing to do with the actual IBU number. But if you use this tool and, and continually taste your finished beer... Mm-hmm you will have something that's useful to, to help you predict how the next batch is going to turn out. Mm-hmm. But it won't give you anything related to what the actual IBUs. I have people saying, well, your formula calculated 21.3 uh, IBUs. <laughs> and I said, well, plus or minus five, right? <laughs> <laughs> and well, they, they, they totally got upset because most of them are engineers. And <laughs> <laughs> they want as many sig figs as their calculator gives them. Well, and that's what I've always said is the formula could give you A through Z, and a given beer is S, and if you want less hops, you know, go to M, and if you want more bitterness, go to, you know, Y. You know, it really doesn't matter. You're just, uh, it's just a, uh, a, a kind of a, a, a signpost as to where you're at, and, you know, you vary from there and adjust, you know, for, for your brewery. It really doesn't matter what the finished IBUs are. Does it taste right? If if it's not bitter enough, go more. If it's... Yeah, you know, but you're underestimating the, uh, you know, the power <laughs> of control that a home brewer wants desires to have yeah because you know they 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 read it online or you know a lot of the 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 breweries are are now kind of 
well, not now, but it's uh, a lot more, I think, are starting to list their IBUs, and they're starting gravities in gravity instead of Plato, and, you know, kind of, um, you know, relate to the homebrew, so they can kind of get, you know, whatever. Um, but, you know, working at a homebrew shop where we're trying to sell kits, mm-hmm. people want uh, that IBU range, and if it's five off, if, if our kit is five IBUs less or greater than their target idea in their head of what let's say a vienna lager should be mm-hmm. uh we get smoked we get bashed on forums i mean and, and it happens across the board so are you what i'm kind of understanding is there's no way for a home brewer to know exactly what their abuse unless they get it tested that's right but absolutely and, and so mean- and so these levels are for and this formula is for um a guideline of this is what this is what thirty five IBUs taste like, ish. Right, right. Well, and, you, and we need to be comfortable in that, or is there a way for well, us to be able to dial that in? The formula is always consistent. The formula is not changing. No, 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 no. But and the if, way you brew, right? If you will. if you keep if your brewery remains consistent, your equipment is the same. Mm-hmm. Your process is the same. If your pitching rate is the same, and your your yeast strain is the same, and you know. All your processes are the same. You can trust that the formula, when you increase what the resulting IBU should be, your your resultant beer will increase as well, and you can you can ha- you have control over that. So and the relative increase will be accurate based on the formula, right? But right. the numbers still may not relate to the actual HPLC or mm-hmm. spectrophotometric numbers. Mm-hmm. Because my 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 brewery was a ten gallon you know brewery in a, in a half barrel keg and and it was with a a jet burner that just <clears throat> cooked the crap out of it and yours <laughs> may be on the stovetop in a in a five gallon ceramic kettle that you do partial you know partial boils with I mean there's mm-hmm. no way of relating those two numbers mm-hmm. but still if you're consistent like you mentioned and all of your parts of your process are consistent then it will help you predict how your next batch will taste compared to this one. Mm-hmm. So if your batch is not bitter enough for you, you know, just increase it. Or, you know, if it's too bitter, back off, and you should get the result you're predicting for your brewery at that time. It's no, it may or may not have any relation to, you know, real-world IBU numbers, um, but that's not really critical. And, I, and I, on the website, I give a couple adjustments that people can make if they really want to dial the formula into their actual numbers. I mean, there's enough flexibility in the formula that there's two places where where they can uh, tweak it. And if you want to do repeated testing at a lab, come back and tweak the formula, test again, you could probably dial it in. But who wants to spend that kind of money? Well, I can think somebody, of a, a few people does. off the yeah. top of my head. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe home brewers, but none of the professional brewers I know. Yeah, no. no. Oh, so what... what, what what points are those that you would tweak? Um, well, there. If you look at the page where I describe the formula, mm-hmm. there's a, a, a long exponential, and there's there's two that will adjust the shape of the curve, the steepest, the steepness of the initial part of the curve, and the quickness at which you get sort of a diminishing returns. And it describes two numbers that you can just tweak and i don't even know how to tweak them because i only ever brewed with the one brewery Mm -hmm. and matched my numbers specifically by adjusting 
the the parameters in that formula. And what I suggest people to do if they really want to fine-tune it is do a bunch of samples all mm-hmm. throughout their boil and then adjust those parameters so that the curve they get matches the model's curve. I just can't you know, necessarily see anyone benefiting from that. Mm-hmm. Um, but like you said, there may be a bunch of listeners who would. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, well, some even have spectrophotometers that I know of. I know of at least two home brewers who have spectrophotometers. Yeah, I, I got one. <laughs> Absolutely. Doesn't everybody? Yeah. Come on. Sometimes the reward is in the journey, though, you know. Mm-hmm. Some people really like that. I like how I got real deep and philosophical right there. <laughs> well, I have, a, I have a brewer in uh, Australia right now who's doing a series of 20 different brews, testing all along the way. He wants to test... Um, maximum uh, solubility mm-hmm. and to find out his theory and mine as well is that pretty much 100 IBUs is as much as you're going to get and that anyone who says they have more is probably lying. Mm-hmm. Um, there's some solubility limit to alpha, da- alpha acids and um, I- I'm guessing Makes that sense. it's not much more than 100 uh, bittering units before you're not going to shove any more into mm-hmm. that beer. But I didn't do the research. He is, and we'll see how that goes. Well, and for the listeners, you know, it's like trying to dissolve, you know, sugar in iced tea. You know, you can dissolve a certain amount in there, and you stir and stir and stir, but eventually, you know, you keep adding, you know, it just won't dissolve anymore, and and you see the, the sugar granules drop to the bottom, and no matter how much you stir, how much you try and dissolve that in there, it just won't dissolve. And it's you know there's a there's a certain limit to how how soluble something is in a solution, and you know it's the same thing with with the uh, the hop uh, uh, alpha acids that uh, you know you you just reach a certain limit. So at a certain point, it's all you're just adding more flavor necessarily. Maybe let's say. right right now the, yeah there's a the bunch of other things and, dissolving. Yeah. I, I also suspect that not only is it just the hop solubility, but total dissolved solids because you've got a, dump, a bunch of grain stuff in there as well. And that the higher your gravity, probably the lower the total overall solubility will be for for hop alpha acids. I mean, again, I'm just just guessing based on how things happen chemically in other systems. But it all makes sense if if this would behave the same way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a similar. It's just solution chemistry, in other words. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and um, I want to get back to the fact that. Whatever formula you use, whether it's Garrett's or Rager's or any of the newer ones, um, the consistency is the key. I mean, I, I, I don't make any money if anyone uses my formula. Uh, I just want people to realize that it's not the actual number that the formula kicks out isn't necessarily the IBU number, which we've already mentioned, and that it's just a tool to help them become more consistent in their brewing. And mm-hmm. that's always, uh, at least as far as I'm concerned, should be our goal. It's a measuring stick. Yeah, yeah. E- exactly. Hmm. Without any the definite units on it necessarily. Right. Right. And I like know, I like that. I like that uh, approach. I, I tell people if if you've started with a certain formula, and you're a bunch of beers in, brews into it, mm-hmm. stick with that formula because you know you're you're learning what a given number in that formula tastes like in your given beer. And so, you know, that's part of the process. Learn the, the how the formula represents what you brew. And then you can use that to dial in anything. And when you come up with a new recipe, you're able to, you know, use that formula to predict what you're going to get. And, you know, don't 
Yeah, and some people are changing formulas, you know, every batch. I'm like, no, 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 you don't want to do that. <laughs> you know, you're not going to learn anything. Well, just because your software allows you to do that doesn't mean you should. Right, yeah, because right. there's a like a I've noticed a, at least a twenty point swing sometimes between yeah. the two formulas. Well, especially and, I mean, and yours. if you're dealing with the older formulas with the S shaped curve, and you're looking at short boil times there's a huge difference because Mm -hmm. they have this initiation period where there's no isomerization and I just didn't find that to be true. I mean, as soon as you start heating it, you start getting something into the wort. Right, and I've one of the things that I I've used Rager all this time because that's what the default was, and that's what people started me out with when I started Mm -hmm. brewing. Yeah, and you know, all these batches later, I'm not going to change. You know. It, but when I look at a recipe, or I'm kind of, you know, we do a, a show, uh, Can You Brew It, which is uh, you know, where we clone uh, commercial beers. And when somebody gives me a recipe that has, you know, a lot of late hops, you know, I start to target my IBUs differently in the recipe. You know, I, I'll, I'll make an adjustment, and I'm like, well, this isn't the IBUs they told me. But I know, having used this formula for so yeah. many batches for so many years, I know I need to change this. I need. I know this is the right amount. Just trust me on this. <laughs> I, I know. I know it's going to turn out right. Yeah, your process has adjusted to compensate right. for the formula. Right. So uh, it'd be great if I, you know, if I had started with your formula and it was a little more <laughs> consistent for me. <laughs> but it's too late for me. I'm, I'm 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 down that road where you know the way my brain works when i'm looking at a recipe and i'm looking at the iu number i'm like well no this is what i need (laughs) you know i always get questions about well how do i adjust your formula for for pellets or how do i do this and Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. you know being a scientist i just say look i never i never explored that Mm -hmm. i have no data to reflect here's the things i've heard from other people al Carsona says this john palmer says this you're just going to have to go on your own because I'm not going to tell you. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I got nothing mm-hmm. for you. Well, and I would say, you know, if if you're always using pellets or if you're always using a hot bag or something like that, it's always going to be consistent. I mean, it, it it you know more than more likely than not, if you're always doing the same consistent you know uh, process, the formula works. And you, again, you you just need to learn whether you need to increase or decrease from that point that's that's what it's it's going to tell you right one of the things i learned brewing this last summer was that it's not as important on a pro level that you're able to predict how things are going to come out the importance is that every single batch you make is exactly the same Mm -hmm. you know when you're brewing xy pale ale the, the the person who's drinking it has to taste the same thing every time they open the cap. And, you know, they could care less about what formula they use. Y- you know, I, I they, they the, the head brewer at Mad River where I worked um, didn't use my formula, so I gave him a lot of crap. <laughs> <laughs> but but he said, look, we, we had tests analyzed, and we know how our equipment works, mm-hmm. and we know that if we do this, then this happens. And we don't really need a different formula because our recipes are dialed in. And right. before we ever bring anything to the big brewery, we do 18 pilot batches, you know? Mm-hmm. Wow. And, and so it, it's consistency, which I always try to bring back to the home brewer. You know, if you can predict what your beer is going to taste like and then brew it, mm-hmm. and it tastes that way, 
then you've done a great job. Right. I, I think that's a big part of homebrewing is, you know, homebrewers make so many new recipes or look at so many recipes that, um, you know, that's where why the, the software and the formulas really hold so much importance to homebrewers mm-hmm. because it's like, well, I may only brew this recipe once or, you know, this is something I'm trying off the cuff and they want it to turn out right. Um, you know, they're not going to do 18 batches to, to get them, uh, you know, dialed in. Right, but they also, though, need to make sure that whatever software they're using, they've they've adjusted it to match their yield and their mm-hmm. efficiencies and everything else. And then, man, they're golden. And whether it's a crappy little spreadsheet that, that I wrote, you know, 15 years ago, or, or ProMash or whatever else is out there, you know, mm-hmm. it, it, it has to be adjusted for whatever your system does. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then that's what I like about you know the your your uh, utilization curve, decline is that um, it's got enough you know basis in in real chemistry and and behavior that um, I can look at a recipe you know published online or or on a website and I'll look at the the way they describe the hop character of the beer and I'll look at the button you know the rough IBU level they're looking at. And because I've always, you know, using, I've always used this formula, I know how it works in my brewery, I know how it works for me, and I will adjust, you know, I'll use that formula to ballpark the uh, IBUs where I want them to be. And, you know, I, that way I can I can take a new recipe and create the beer that I wanted. It's because I've I've gotten used to using the formula, I've gotten used to using my equipment, and I can adapt a recipe to produce a beer that I'm I can you know I'm envisioning or seeing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know the one the one trick that that I found is tough is when you have beers like I don't know if you guys are familiar with uh Lagunitas Hop Stupid or uh, mm-hmm. Russian River Pliny the Elder. Oh yeah. Right. Try to Pliny duplicate either of those without <laughs> hop extract and you're going to run up against the brick wall and they don't tell you well Hop Stupid does but you don't always know what the brewer's tricks are that got got the taste that you like. Mm-hmm. And um, I can guarantee without hop extract, you're not going to be able to brew either of those two beers. <laughs> That's true. We, um, you know, I have the, uh, uh, the Vinny's homebrew recipe, the original, without the extract. But it does taste different mm-hmm. than the current and the commercial one available. And uh, uh, extracts are, are weird. They, they throw people for loops sometimes. You're absolutely right. But they add an amazing taste, you know, and yeah. and it just uh, that's one of the things where I think there's still a little mystery involved because we've got these other interesting ingredients that we really can't put into our spreadsheets, right? Mm-hmm. That's right. right. Yeah, you know, like so much brewing, um, you know, a lot of a lot of uh, geeky guys tend to uh, gravitate towards brewing, but. Uh, you know, there's a lot of art to it, and a lot of uh, you know, uh, a lot of uh, you know inconsistencies that uh, it's it's it, the brewer makes a difference, you know. And, and you can't brew everything with malt extract and a handful of hot pellets. You've got to get the right ingredients to you know to duplicate a beer that you want. Mm. Sure. Yeah, that's that's definitely sure. I mean, any sort of huge finishing hop presence, you know, or in the hop back or however you want to do it, dry hopping, I mean, try to do that with pellets. It, 
in the kettle, it's just not going to work. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's all over. Okay. Why don't we do this? Why don't we take a short break? Glenn, if you could stick with us uh, through the break. Uh, we've got some uh, listeners that are going to want to ask you some questions. So we'll be back uh, right after this. Brew right. Brew smart. Brew strong. This is Brew Strong. When Blickman Engineering set out to design a great brewing stand, they knew it had to be strong, adaptable, and last for a lifetime. The top-tier brewing stand is now proudly available at BlickmanEngineering.com. It grows with your brewing skills and equipment. Start with 5-gallon coolers on its heavy-gauge stainless steel shelves. Then move all the way up to 30-gallon pots on the high-output burner tiers. Speaking of burners, the custom Blickman Engineering top-tier burners are extremely powerful, efficient, and amazingly quiet. They have safety stops to center your pot and they'll last a lifetime and won't rust. The top-tier brewing stand allows virtually infinite combinations from traditional gravity systems to two tiers to completely horizontal. Configure your stand the way you want and have the freedom to change it at any time in the future. Your brewing stand should adapt with you, not force you to learn a new process. Visit BlickmanEngineering.com today to configure your top-tier brewing stand and to find a local Blickman retailer. You'll be surprised with all the flexible features and the competitive price. Start brewing with Blickman from the top tier. Nico, listen, our lawyers said that we had to do this for one hour, and after this, we don't have to talk to each other for three more months at the, to the next meeting. Kids. Come on, let's get out of here. I'm supposed to have more lines, so I'm the professional. <clears throat> hey, it's Sully. And I'm Nico. And we opened the 21st Amendment nine years ago at 563 2nd Street in San Francisco, just two blocks from Giants Park, to make great beer and have a great time doing it. That's right, because to us, the 21st Amendment is more than just the right to make beer. It's the right to experiment, to be innovative, and just do things differently. And so now, we're putting our craft beer in cans. That's right, cans. You can find our world-famous Heller High Watermelon Wheat Beer and Brew Free or Die IPA throughout California and Alaska. And now, it's also available on draft at select accounts in the Bay Area. So next time you're at your local neighborhood pub or good beer store, be sure to ask for 21st Amendment in cans. Because everyone likes it in a can. Tasty Crack Cans. Tasty Crack Cans. Williams Brewing is your online resource for prompt delivery of quality home brewing supplies. Since 1979, Williams Brewing has offered the finest equipment and freshest ingredients and the best customer service in the business. Cut hours off your brewing sessions by using one of our 11 varieties of famous Williams malt extract. Our Williams Belgian Pale Extract is mashed with pure Belgian two-row malt and a small percentage of Belgian wheat malt for an authentic Belgian character you just can't get from other extracts. Or check out our unique fermenters, two-and-a-half-gallon kegs, paintball tank-based draft beer equipment, bottling aids, and much more. We even have our own line of precision hydrometers. Go to williamsbrewing.com to browse our vast selection. That's williamsbrewing.com. Orders placed by 3.30 p.m. Pacific time ship the same day. Brewing is easy. 
The Williams Way. There's an app on the iPhone for just about everything, including beer. Apps for finding a pint of beer. Apps that look like you're drinking a pint of beer. And now, there's an app for brewing a pint of beer. Introducing BrewPal, the most all-inclusive beer brewing app for professionals and hobbyists that fits in your pocket and goes wherever you do. Recipe formulation that can be imported and exported with a customizable database. Mash and sparge calculations, yeast pitching rates, carbonation tables, and more. Available right now for less coin than a pound of grain. See BrewPal in action at brewpal.info and download it for your iPhone at a special introductory price right now. BrewPal, all the brewing software you need right in your pocket. This is Sit down next to it, grab yourself a paper towel, and watch those yeast have sex. You're listening to the Brewing Network. Back to the beer guys that make other beer guys look like wine guys. Brew strong. All right, we're back. We're talking uh, everything about hop utilization, and we've got uh, the uh, the famous Glenn Tinseth on the line. Glenn, thanks again for joining us. Uh, it's it's a real pleasure to speak with you. I it is. You know, I I. I uh, I, I've never had a chance to uh, chat with you, email or or otherwise. So uh, it's nice to uh, to get to know you a little bit. It's been fun also to be here. I, I did a little research once. John asked me to do this, and um, I realized you guys have a really great thing going there. Oh, cool! Thank Thanks. you very much. Thank you. You know what I like about this is uh, I assume this is how dopey I am. I figured this, you know, the the Tinseth formula was, you know, made by some guy in a, you know, high button shoes and a bowler hat in like the 1800s, and right. that's just what we've been doing. But I had no idea that uh, there Glenn was. Glenn a- does ride one of those bikes with a giant front wheel and a little wheel in the back. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's yeah, and that's I, where you and get I wear the a beret. So. <laughs> Great. <laughs> it's just kind of cool to get like a like a modern, uh, you know. At least there's still research going on into something as important as I could name a star after you for Christmas if you like, JP. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, would you like to? What about uh, current hop research? Uh, you know, uh, John and Glenn, do you do you have any uh, insight into to what people are doing right now? Glenn, you mentioned kind of uh, that people are looking at. Uh, ways to predict I've used better or, or what was that you mentioned earlier well the one thing that one of the folks who had written me talked about was this upper limit mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. or solubility limit and that he had seen references to 200 IBUs and 250 IBUs and and one of those he actually tested himself I mean this is a very ambitious you know person um, he, he found it only had 92 IBUs. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I mentioned that all the research and data I had gotten from Sierra Nevada years ago showed that Bigfoot never went above 100. And um, Bigfoot is, is just obscenely hopped mm-hmm. when it's fresh. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, they would take it as far as they could go. And so w- w- this, this person and I um, in emails had just discussed that, you know, maybe 100 
IBUs is a limit. So he's doing a bunch of research. I haven't. I, I just was reviewing my emails today, prepping for this show, and uh, it, it made me curious again to see how he had progressed. No. But also, you know, there's pH, and there's uh, kettle uh-huh. geometry, and there's boil vigor, mm-hmm. and there's yeast flocul- flocul- flocculation, and, mm-hmm. and, and so many other things. You're, how good of a chiller you have, and do you right. use an immersion versus a counterflow? Mm-hmm. Hmm. Yeah, I think hop alpha acids kind of, they behave like oil and water to some extent, but they're, at the same time, they're sticky, and they tend to stick to any of the surfaces you mm-hmm. know, you're using in your brewery. Well, and that's um, why, you know, the yeast cells, you know, the, the yeah. higher the pitching rate, that tends to be the lower the IBUs, right? Yeah. You mentioned, Jamil, the uh, uh, the other po- another podcast, um, Basic Brewing mm-hmm. uh, Radio, a while, I was probably, I think, two years ago now. Um, they conducted an experiment where they had several different brewers brew the same recipe and uh, measured the IBUs um, in, the res- in the beer of uh, each of these brewers that brewed the same recipe and then calculated using each formula what the what the predicted IBUs for that beer were and everything was ballpark uh, pretty much um, some were a little closer than others until they got to a German Hefeweizen and where they had predicted I think it was 27 or 30 they got 18 measured and it really, you know, it, it confused everybody on the, on at the time and on the show. But when you think about the effect of yeast and yeast flocculation, you know, it makes it makes total sense that you have um, when when they do uh, an IBU extraction, they strain out the yeast, and the yeast you know are, are sucking up a lot of the alpha acids that you would be getting in the beer, and, and they're they're present so much longer in the hefe. So they would have more chances to uh, scrub it out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Interesting. Well, and this is one of the reasons why they even have processes for debittering yeast. Is you know the that uh, those isomerized alpha acids will coat the exterior of the yeast cell, and what happens is actually the viability of the cell drops uh, because of that coating. It's it's why. You know, hops were added for their preservative quality to beer. Uh, it tends to coat the cells and prevent them from, um, you know, replicating. Same thing with bacteria and all that. That coating is is really what what stops the the those cells from uh, replicating. So it's clear, you know, obvious why you know uh, the amount of cells is is going to affect the amount of your bitterness in your beer. Yeah, I think if that if that show had done a test at twelve minutes into the boil, mm-hmm. then we would have really seen whose formula is best. Right, right. <laughs> there you go. Well, yeah. and you know, I I believe that a hundred percent. I you know, I I I think you know that's really what you can tell. You can you know you can measure you know in the wort at a given pH and a given volume. You know, it, I bet you the shift between. Uh, you know the 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 brew pot and the burner you used and the water you used and the pH you had versus you know something that I'm using is probably not you know wildly off and you know if I am off of what you your results it probably tracks that that adjustment probably tracks all the way throughout the boil and it would be fine all the way and so I could make a little tweak and I'd be 100 percent in in line with your formula the 
you know, the real difference comes in other parts of the process, I would think. Well, I think one elephant in the room that we haven't even spoken of is how accurate are your hop analyses, you know? Mm-hmm. And yeah. how long has it been since that bale was tested? Right. And, you know, that 200-pound bale, they only take one or two little pokes, you know? Right. So, right. so what are the odds that your hops are actually 6.6% right. alpha? Right. It could so there's be. so many variables. That's why I mm-hmm. always tell people, don't don't think this comes close to any real number. Well, especially with, uh, you know, uh, you know, it's popular to use something like a Magnum or Horizon, uh, you know, some, some of the higher alpha acid, uh, you know, clean, bittering hops. And uh, if you use those in a beer that doesn't require a lot of IBUs, uh, you know, again, a, uh, you know, a slight miss in the analysis or... Uh, you know, if you're not measuring your hops accurately, if you're measuring your hops, uh, you know, to the nearest tenth of an ounce or something like that, uh, and then round up to a half, and and it's and it's one of these high alpha hops, that's a significant difference in a in a low IBU beer. You could be, I imagine, you could be off by double. Yeah, yeah I mean, when when I look at, we had a, a basically a twenty barrel brewery at Mad River, and when we used. For, for our least hop beers, certain certain beers had pellets, and certain of the pellets were very high alpha. The small amount that you would use in that huge amount of beer was very indicative of what you just said. A small mistake would make a huge difference. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, uh, and it's like you said also, Glenn, that uh, especially in a professional brewing situation, you've got to make this batch taste the same as the last batch. So you can't mm-hmm. afford to make those small mistakes. Right. right. Well, and, you know, one of the things, if, if you're if you're homebrewing and you're making a low IBU beer, don't use a high alpha hop. Uh, you know, your, your measurements are going to be far more accurate if you use a lower alpha hop because, the you know, if you make a mistake, yeah. that kind of, uh, you know, ameliorates the 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 you know the mistake and and makes it uh you know your tolerance level goes up for uh, uh you know as long as you use something that's a uh, lower alpha acid plus it'll probably be a lot more tasty too right right <laughs> right, right. Well, glenn what are some of your favorite hop varieties <clears throat> well i was thinking about that since we had had emailed earlier and <clears throat> i'm going to present this in two parts the most recent part is my experience this last summer brewing professionally, uh, one of the most amazing uh, hop experiences I had was <clears throat> this. We, we basically brewed a Belgian golden ale as a specialty this summer and used sterling in the hop back. Mm-hmm. I think it was about six pounds of sterling. And so you run the hot wort through the hop back into the, into the uh, uh, whirlpool and the, through the chiller. It was the most amazing, perfumey, non-hop uh, memory that I've ever had. I mean, it was just, you stick your head down because you're bending over, uh, stirring the hop back around, and it was the most amazing aroma I've, I've ever smelled from a hop. Uh, not anything like any of our piney West Coast hops. It was just astonishing. So Sterling is one of them. Mm-hmm. And the other from the summer that that struck me as a really sort of odd hop to like was Brewer's Gold. It's huh, um, yeah. an older I, one. Every time I filled the bucket because we measured hops by the pound, 
um, from Brewer's Gold, they were so sticky and so aromatic and so gummy and just the essence of of uh, hop hoppiness. Um, it was just astonishing. It made me rethink, you know, some of my prejudices from before. Uh, so th- those two hops basically stuck out over the summer as something that I would encourage anyone to, to check check into again if they hadn't before. Yeah, I would never have uh, used Brewer's Gold. Just because of the name is kind yeah. of 60s, it's so, 70s. It's so ancient and old. <laughs> yeah. It's uh, it was just amazing. It was one of the few hops that you would you would you, you know we always wore gloves to get to the hops because you work so much with them. But it would just coat them with so much resin and, and wow. gumminess, and just astonishing. And so the the other ones that I would like to throw out <clears throat> are because I've always been an IPA fan, and um, I always like to just do insanely weird things with dry hopping. And so two things finished off as something I would like to share. Uh, nugget as a hop, which I don't even know if you can get anymore. Yeah, you can get Nugget. Can you? Mm-hmm. Using it as a finishing hop mm-hmm. in oh, the final end, end of your boil um, it really gives an amazing aroma that you, you wouldn't expect. Um, the original, uh, I don't know if you guys are familiar with Pyramid, Brewery, mm-hmm. they had yeah. they had a beer called Snowcap mm-hmm. yeah, that at one uh... time was actually good. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I had a friend named Anders um, Johansson who since long time since then went to work for Deschutes and a couple other breweries. But he gave out uh, an original recipe for Snowcap that we used every Christmas, and four or five of us home brewers would try to brew it because we loved it so much. And it had a ton of nugget in the finish. And oh. it was an amazing uh, experience because you would never use it. It's this high alpha, not very clean hop. And so there's another. And then the final one is uh, Chinook. Oh, I love Chinook. I first used it as a bittering hop, and then because I was out of everything else, I once dry hopped with it. And it gave the most amazing fruity pineapple uh, aromas that I, I made me use it many, many times later. I mean, I'm saying almost heresy here to use these high alpha hops in the finish, but um, that's the kind of thing that I like to encourage people to do. You know, don't just use the hops that people tell you to use. Try weird stuff. <laughs> <laughs> And Chinook yeah. as a dry hop is a weird thing. <laughs> Sounds like a, uh, a Bruce Strong uh, new tagline. Bruce Strong, <laughs> try, try weird, weird stuff. <laughs> <laughs> well, I find so many people just get get bound into, you know, back then it was Byron Birch and Charlie Papazian, and you had this huge book of recipes, and, you know, you didn't mm-hmm. vary from it, mm-hmm. you know. But you guys, and, and, and nowadays, it's much more likely that people are going to go nuts, especially with, you know, like Sam Cleglione with Dogfish Head and, and these other breweries that are doing amazingly weird things. Yeah. We have a responsibility as home brewers to not follow but to lead. Yep. That's true. That's There's very true. There's another tagline for you. Yeah. <laughs> Brew strong. Don't follow. Lead. lead. 
I think Glenn is dry happing out on the freeway right now. <laughs> I'm letting the dog out. Sorry. <laughs> just checking. I think well, he's just so high on hops, he's just playing on the freeway. It's well, cool. and, and, and Glenn, you've been awesome, and you know we we've taken up a lot of your time. But uh, you got time for a few questions from the uh, chat room? Absolutely. I have I have permission from she who must be obeyed for as long as I need. All right. All right. Awesome. Okay. 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 I'm not talking about the dog that you're walking. No. <laughs> okay. Good. I do have a few questions from the chat room. They've been great. Happy to hear what you have to say. And we've got some intelligent questions for you. So you know they didn't come from this room. <laughs> Can the alpha acid delta between the wort and the finished beer be predicted? Uh, is it yeast strain dependent? Well, I don't have any data okay. on that, unfortunately. Um I would say, you know, the more flocculent your yeast is, the less like the the less loss in alpha acid you're going to get. But you know, it's only one of many mm-hmm. uh, factors. Well, and you also have uh, you know cell size, so you know the the greater the surface area, the, so the 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 number the the more surface area you have, let's say you have a certain amount of yeast mass, but it's made up of a lot of much smaller cells, you're going to have a lot more surface area. Right. And, you know, it's it's really, you know, surface area versus contact with the beer. Um, if you, you know, as that yeast is tumbling through the beer during fer- fermentation, um, you know, that amount of surface area. So, uh, you know, different strains are different sizes. Um, they're all pretty much about the, sa- the same size, but some are smaller, some are bigger. Uh, certain stages in their health and their growth, they're bigger or smaller. All those things can affect it. I imagine if you really could, you know, get a consistent, um, you know, uh, process down in growing yeast and pitching yeast and, and pitching the same rates, you could determine, you know, the effect each strain has on on finished IBUs, and you know, same thing goes for filtering. You know, your your filtering process, the speed of filtering, the uh, how tight you're filtering your beer, things like that, all would also be somehow predictable. I think I I imagine it it could be, you know, with enough data, I think you can predict almost anything. Yeah, I just don't. Again, I see it as a diminishing return sort of mm-hmm, thing. Mm-hmm. You know, um, most of us settle into a few yeast strains that we probably have on. I mean, if you're like me, you have on petri dishes and you you work up yourself. But however you do it, um, you're not going to use 18 different yeast strains, and you're going to get used to how each one behaves. Mm-hmm. So you probably, if you're using three most of the time, you're going to know that one is more likely to scrub you know, bitterness out than others. And so you'll take that into account when you formulate your recipes. Well, and I wonder if if that's part of the, uh, you know, people in the past have talked about yeast strains being more malty, and it, and and oh, it's yeah. clear they, they, they really meant malty-sweet, malt sweetness versus malt character. And, um, you know, malt sweetness, I wonder if those yeasts that tend to favor malt sweetness over hot bitterness are really ones that tend to pull more uh, isomerized alpha acids out of solution. I wonder if that's if there's any. I'm just throwing that out there. Well, yeah, I mean, I've I've read hundreds out. of papers, and I've never really seen any that that followed this path. You know, mm-hmm. it's a very interesting idea. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I think he's just working on job security. I'm like, how? What other show? <laughs> yeah, how what many other shows, shows could I build off of this? Well, yeah. 
Let's see about this. Yeah, because, you know, the compensation I'm getting here is so huge. <laughs> that I do want to extend it out to multiple. Uh, Glenn, I, I think we, we'll, we'll sign you up for a series of at least uh, half a dozen. Uh, you know, I'd be more than willing to do that, uh, but only if I get some sort of fan uprising and, and seeing people Absolutely. dry hopping with Chinook. <laughs> okay. I well, and I'll, I'll try Nugget next time. <laughs> and I'll double your paycheck from this show, Glenn. Mm. There you go. Now we're working. Yeah. <laughs> Unfortunately, Glenn is capable of doing math, and uh, that, the trick's not going to work. <laughs> not like the rest of us. Damn it. No, okay. you had me. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> All right, another good question from the chat room tonight. Uh, how does beer color change the way we have to measure IBUs using a spectrometer? Uh, won't less light make it through a darker beer, therefore giving a misleadingly high IBU number? Well, the the spectrophotometry that we use is uh, at a specific uh, wavelength. What is it? Uh, Two hundred and seventy-five nanometers. Something like that. I forget. Yeah, and so it's designed uh, to to um, have uh, two factors. One, it it only absorbs by the things you're interested in. And you have a blank that you run it against that takes into account all the other things. And so we typically are able to totally take care of anything like that. And it's not an issue in the analysis. Okay. All right. Another question for you, Glenn, is what do you think of bitterness from first wort uh, hopping or mash hopping? You know, this first came up many, many years ago, and George Fix, I don't know if he's still a, a part of the homebrew community, but he was one oh, of the... Huh? Unfortunately, no. He passed uh, a couple of years back. Oh, no. He was just one of my heroes. Yeah. Uh, he did some some big experiments into first word hopping, and mm-hmm. I didn't. And so um, I think, you know, John, when I read your article, you had a little bit of a, a question or two about maybe whether that could account for some of the yeah. reduced bitterness yeah. uh, due to the flock, or protein, uh, the hot break. Yeah, the hot break taking some of the alpha out, yeah. Right, so I, 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 you know, I could see that happening. I just don't have any real data, and I hate to make speculations based on not having any data. Well, I'll tell you this. I've taken part in some first word hopping experiments. Where I've been sent beers that were blind to me, and I've given them to groups of people, and you know, having them characterize, you know, bittering and hop flavor and aroma, and the results have always been that the majority of people, when given a first word hop beer, uh, find it to be more bitter, and um, to have less hop flavor and aroma. Hmm. And I can always pretty much pick out what the first word hot beer is just by it's more bitter. Got it. And just to possibly back that up a little bit, the person asking this question uh, said he he tried it with one of his IPAs, and he didn't change anything else except for doing a first word hop, and he said it was way too bitter. Unless unless you do it side by side, though, it's very difficult. You gotta you gotta have the same brewery brew the same beer. Mm. Everything the or same, split the batch, right? You know, yeah, and give you, give you, and the, the, this this would be uh, split batch and give you the same same beer because you know 
you really your your mindset changes these things, and you know you you can be convinced of anything. But um, and uh, doing analysis on these things, uh, the IBUs of first word hot beers are greater than uh, the non first word hot beers, so it does have higher IBUs. Perception is they are more bitter. So, um, well, this, my, this would support the t- the typical curve. I mean, right? I we, I would just extend the curve out for what, whatever time uh, involved. Um, that's that's that was my take on it. Okay, and one last question from the chat. Um, I, they were talking in the chat about pulverizing hops for dry hopping, and the question was: Is there any think there's any uh, real advantage to doing this? Um, is it the same as just using pellets? Well, one of the things you have to be careful with is that you don't heat them up when you when you pulverize them. And one of the the complaints I always had against hot pellets was that unless they did it under liquid CO2 or some other process, they were losing some of the more volatile components mm-hmm. just due to the mechanical heating of the, the, the pulverizing process. So depending on what process they use, you know, if they could do it somehow and keep them cold, I don't see a problem. And they would certainly get much more exposure in the dry hopping. But if there's any heating at, at all involved due to the mechanical process, I would say don't do it. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, I remember yeah. Ralph talking about that. Mm-hmm. For the listeners, so uh, if you ever put like spices or something like that in a, in a frying pan, if you're making a curry or something like that, you heat it up and all those aromatics come out and you can really you can really smell those. When they make uh, hot pellets, they take these hop cones and they run, run them through a hammer mill that uh, it just pounds them into you know a dust, a, a powder, and a lot of heat's generated from that and then they all that powder is forced through a uh, an extruder that turns them into those little rabbit pellets and you know forcing anything through a, you know down and compacting it generates a lot of heat so um, that's you know what Glenn's talking about that that same thing happens to to the hops and obviously you're losing some uh, of those you know precious volatiles now my thought was well at least for me, you know the pellets are consistent. the The hop aroma I have trapped in those pellets early on. If I keep them cold and protected, uh, you know, six months down the line, I've, I've, you know, I've pretty much got the same thing, and uh, you know, I can count on the consistency of it. Uh, am I crazy to to think that at least uh, I, I'm gaining consistency? Well, no, not at all. Because the best of the pelletizing processes use liquid CO two to keep mm. the whole thing cold. Cool. Mm-hmm. And they have that glaze on the outside that's going to prevent any further oxidation, especially if you've stored them badly. Mm-hmm. You know, you know, if you've stored them well, then I don't think you're gaining much between whole hops and pellets. But still, you absolutely are gaining consistency as long as you're happy with the initial product. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Cool. That's what. That's what we have from the chat room today, guys. All right. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> they were just listening to you guys. Well, There's they're all family around. members, too, so it's pissing me off. Well, that, that we it. only gave them like, uh, you know, four hours notice that, that, that we'd be on. Uh, but I, 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 for me, you've been fantastic, Glenn. I really appreciate you spending all this time with us and uh, bearing with us through uh, technical difficulties and all that. It's It's been almost uh, two hours that you've been standing by for us, and, and it's really appreciated. 
I got to have you back on on again. Um, I think we only scratched the surface of uh, Chris's uh, questions about hop uh, utilization and hops in in the brewery. Mm-hmm. So uh, if we can have you back again, I, I'd really love to. Yeah, I can even get my phone number right. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> well, I have it written down if you can't, so it's okay. all right, Glenn. <laughs> well, thank yeah. you again. Uh, I, I think it's been a, a, a great uh, show. I think what we've learned is that, uh, you know, the formula, uh, the, the Tenseth formula at least, is consistent across the, the wort boil. And I think we can all trust that. It's going to be different for different types of equipment, Um and it's going to be, uh, you know, different, you know, your resulting IBUs are going to be different based on, you know, your yeast pitch rates and things like that. But, you know, the thing you count on is the formula doesn't, like, you know, break or something like that. It's, it, you know, it's it's consistent across the boil. And you can use that to dial in your adjustments. Uh, you know, we talked about first word hopping and uh, dry hopping and some of Glenn's favorite, favorite hops. You know, lots of great information. Uh, we even did, talked a little bit about uh, hop aging, and you know, the important thing being, um, you know, keeping those hops as cold as possible, uh, not letting them sit out warm. That's really going to have the major effect on, uh, you know, having stable hops and away from oxygen as well. Yep, yep. Right. Now, one other thing. I'm sorry to to throw in, yep. but if you could uh, at least send people to look at the website to see the source, it's uh, realbeer.com/hops. Realbeer.com slash hops. Great. And that's where, where I've lived since the early 90s. <laughs> All right. Okay, so uh, thank you again. and uh, I really appreciate it. having you on. No, I, I, I appreciate being asked, and it was a real honor to be here. Well, thanks. Thanks. All right. So if you get a chance, uh, you know, check out our fine sponsor, uh, Blickman, uh, BlickmanEngineering.com. Again, you can pick up his uh, products at uh, a vast uh, number of uh, homebrew shops across the country. You can even find that information on the website. They've got, uh, you know, the beer gun, the Therminator. They're, they've got stainless conicals. They've got that really cool uh, top-tier system that uh, John Palmer uses in his brewery. Uh, if you get a chance, you know, tell John Blickman that you love him because uh, he gets this show for you for free. Okay? Anyways, uh, good show, everybody. I think we, we uh, kind of started to delve into a very huge topic, and I think we got at least one more, if not two yeah, more shows on this. Yeah, yeah we, like we did five shows on the water ganza. I think it's hop ganza time. Hop ganza, right. folks. We're going we're, we're gonna, to we're gonna do a bunch of shows. And uh, I want to have Glenn back. He's he's an excellent guest. Anyways, until we're back, uh, you know, make sure uh, make sure you uh, brew strong, brew often, brew strong, and uh, don't forget we're gonna have a live we're gonna have a live Q and A show coming up. So stick stick around. Uh, you can ask your questions, any questions on any subject, as long as they're sort of brewing related. We'll be back uh, with another show right after this. Until then, brew strong, everybody. Lead with weird stuff. <laughs>